Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, I'm Alex L., and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. I'll be sitting down with some phenomenal women to discuss love. I believe we grew distant out of love of some type. Like, yeah. I don't want to hurt you. Loss. Really don't know what's going to trigger that feeling of right. grief in any moment. And a topic very important to my work self-care. Freedom is self-care. It's not about pedicures. It's not about clothing. It's not about trips. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Today on the show, I'm sitting down with the founder of the Urban Canning Company. Eileen has a magical story of transformation, healing, and motherhood. In this episode, we dive into how she fell in love with canning, what motherhood and food and journeying through life has taught her about community, and we also tap into self-care and how that plays a role in her life today. This is Eileen's story. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Eileen, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. I'm really, you know, thrilled to to have this conversation and to dive deep. Um, but before we do, please let us know who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, my name is Eileen Sofranco, and I own a cannery in St. Petersburg, Florida called the Urban Canning Company, where we create artisanal pickles, jams, and beer mustards. And that mustard... I mean, I've already told you, but that beer mustard, <laughs> y'all, that beer mustard is so good. <laughs> it is delicious. I'm so glad you like it. It's, it's kind of funny because it's one of our top sellers now, but when it first came about, I had never made mustard before ever. And I had a local brewery ask me on a Monday, I'll never forget it. They were like, Hey, we tried your jams and love them. Would you like to make a mustard with our beer in it for an event on Friday? And I was like, yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> and I got off the phone and I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I've never made this before. And so I just, I don't know. I, made it work. And now it's one of our top selling products. So well, it is amazing. I'm glad they reached out because that's a staple in our house. Just to let you know, <laughs> this morning, I had a breakfast bowl with my sauteed potatoes and onions and peppers, uh, scrambled eggs oh, yes. and a big dollop of the mustard, like right in the <laughs> middle. <laughs> That so, sounds like my kind of breakfast bowl. Delicious. I'm a savory kind of breakfast girl. Me too. <laughs> me too. All the way. So I want to dive in with how Urban Canning Co. came to be. So let's start from the beginning. 
How did you fall in love with jam and jarring and canning and all that good stuff? Well, it's a little bit of a long story, (laughs) but I was raised here in St. Petersburg, Florida since I was one, but my family is actually from the mountains of West Virginia. So as a little girl, every single summer, my mom would bring me up to stay with my great uncle. We'll call him Uncle Ray. So you all know, we'll know that that's my great uncle. Mm -hmm. And I used to play down in the basement slash cellar with all of my cousins every single summer. And the cellar down in the basement was just wall to wall preserved foods from Mm -hmm. pickles to jams, to just regular preserved vegetables. And at that time, I didn't really think much more about it other than that I thought it was delicious and I wanted to eat it. I had like much different dreams and ideals for myself growing up in St. Pete. I kind of would come home and people would ask me like, how is your summer? And I was like, it's good, but you know, my family's a little, they're a little bit hillbilly. (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to be a famous makeup artist. And I went to arts middle school and high school. And two weeks after I graduated, I had a one-way plane ticket to New York City and I did not come back for six years. Wow. And yeah. And I thought I was really going to find myself in New York. I thought that was exactly the place I needed to be. But it turns out (laughs) that it was nothing I thought it was going to be at all. I didn't really make many connections there. And uh, long story short, I came back to Florida when I was 23. And I was knocked up (laughs) and totally lost. (laughs) Everything that I thought I wanted for myself was turning out to not be true and Mm. not coming into fruition. And around that same time, my uncle had purchased a, like a winter home. You know how we have snowbirds. Yes. And so I was spending more time with him in the winter months and he started sharing lots of stories about how things were for him and for my ancestors while they were growing up in West Virginia. And something about him sharing those family memories with me just really struck a chord for me in my life at that time. You know, he would, they didn't have two pennies to rub together. So we'll just start with that. And for them, they had to use everything possible, you know, in order to survive the long winter months. And part of that was putting food up at the end of every summer. And they were just very resourceful. Nowadays, we would call it self-sustainable, but they don't know what that means. You know, they just know how to completely take care of themselves on a dime. And so I asked him to teach me how to make my favorite pickle that he makes, which are these 14-day sweet pickles. And so he showed me how, and I can't really explain to you what happened in that moment, but I never stopped canning after that day. Mm -hmm. And he is he and I are very close. He's more like a grandfather to me than an uncle. And I just, I discovered that in trying to find myself out in the world, what I really needed to do was find it within myself and with my family and my heritage. Wow. So that's, that is amazing. I want to circle back a little bit to New York and the stream of being a makeup artist and the place you thought you were going to find yourself not being that place. Yeah. (laughs) What did you learn in that? I mean, at 23, it's so different from being 23 to being, you know, where we are now in life. Right. So what opened your eyes to New York not being the place? And then you came back home to St. Petersburg pregnant. 
How did that yes. shift the trajectory <laughs> of your life? Yeah. Well, while I was in New York, I started working in the cosmetics industry, um, selling cosmetics, and I was living in Brooklyn at the time. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to lie, the first couple years as an 18 and 19-year-old in New York City working in the makeup industry was super fun, (laughs) but it was also really unhealthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I was going out a lot. I wasn't at home much. I was spending all my money Mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, living that kind of party lifestyle. And while I was living in Brooklyn, I met someone that was from Brooklyn originally And in the beginning, it was really amazing. He was very charming and he was very different than anyone that I had ever met um, growing up here in Florida. And that was really intriguing for me. And so he and I got into a relationship and it just so happened to be at a time where my best friend who had decided to move up there after I had, a year later, she decided to leave. And I was kind of left up there without any friends or family and working in the fashion industry, you know, you're surrounded by a lot of people, but a lot of the time, none of it is meaningful relationships. So I hadn't really met any true friends there. And so I kind of threw myself into this relationship and it was, you know, I'd say six to eight months into it that. I started realizing that I might have gotten myself into something a little more intense than what I originally had thought. And a few years later, I still found myself in it and I didn't really understand why. Um, And it turns out that I had kind of gotten stuck into a cycle of abuse with this man. And, you know, sometimes it takes a few years for you to really understand that that's what's going on because for a lot of women, when they find themselves in abusive relationships, it almost always starts when they're in a vulnerable place to begin with. And men have a tendency, or abusive men have a tendency to see that vulnerability and then fill that void for the person. And then later on, they start to show their true colors. And that doesn't always have to mean, you know, physical abuse. It can mean a variety of things. And you can really be broken down as a person. And so my self-esteem was really low. I hadn't met any friends up there. I find myself in an abusive relationship that I end up getting pregnant um, in the middle of. Mm -hmm. And so I came back to Florida with the man, hoping that maybe um, the move was going to change things. (laughs) And it didn't at all. You know, your problems always follow you no matter where you go. And I didn't want to admit to my friends or family that I had gotten myself into this situation. I was like, you know, you're smarter than this. Mm. You know, you come from a good background. Like, how could you be a victim of abuse? But the truth is, is that it can happen to anyone at any time. And it doesn't matter whether you're educated or not. And it took me a long time to have the courage to get out and it was through moving back to Florida that I was like really able to have a support system around me where I felt safe to do so because I knew that it was, shit was going to go down (laughs) after I decided to get out, you know? Yeah. And it did, it got crazy. I will like spare you guys how crazy it got, but I was left in a really interesting space where I felt more lost than I ever had. And it was it coincided with my uncle moving here. Mm. 
And so I think that's why the stories of my, you know, family's upbringing and having that support system really resonated to me at that time. It also was teaching me lessons on how to be a single mom because I never got any child support. All of the help I got was from my parents Mm -hmm. or just from my own will. Mm -hmm. And I was left in a situation where, you know, I I guess I'm going to call it a quarter life crisis. And then also kind of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And a lot of people do. My answer at that time was just to like, put it in a box and totally forget about it. And I dove into uh, my heritage, learning more about my uncle, canning. And then I also was in a situation where I wasn't sure if anyone would ever love me as a single mom or Mm. if I could, if anyone would ever love my daughter the Mm. way that a biological father would. Mm. And trying to support myself. And a lot of times single moms have a really hard time finding affordable childcare while working a set schedule. And so I tried it for a while and I, it was like eating at my soul. I was like, my kid was being picked up by like two different people. We had like this crazy intense schedule to try to make it work to where I could work, they could work, Ava could be taken care of. Mm -hmm. That's my daughter. Mm -hmm. And there came a point where I was like, this is just crazy. You know, I don't love what I'm doing. We're all running around like maniacs. And so I started my first business at that time. I decided just to quit my job and I literally had nothing else lined up. And so I was like, you know, I love vintage. I'm going to try to sell vintage online. And so that's the first business that I started. Um, was selling vintage on Etsy, which at that time it was like 2009, 2010. Everybody was like, <laughs> everybody was on Etsy. Yeah. <laughs> I can quit my job and I'm just going to make millions on Etsy. And the truth <laughs> is the first couple of years, I truly did sustain myself on Etsy, but then, you know, it wasn't enough. Yeah. And I had been making jam for myself and for Ava, um, because it became a hobby and a lifestyle of mine after, you know, learning from my uncle. And I shared some with a friend who at that moment, her name's Rosie Williams, and she's the founder of a market down here in um, our area, a maker's market called the Indie Flea. Well, she, her and I got together because we were both selling vintage. The vintage business wasn't going well for her either, but we started doing these pop-ups outside of her store on Central Avenue. And those pop-ups, she thought, you know, I think I'm going to turn these into a little maker's market. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to start bringing my jam out to those maker market and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it sold out. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) So each month I brought out a little bit more and a little bit more and it kept selling out. And I had one of my like last minute risky moments that I do all the time. And I was just like, you know what? I have $700 to my name. I'm going to start a canning business oh, <laughs> because it seems wow. like everyone likes my jam. Yeah. And so I did that in January of 2014 and I turned it into an LLC called the Urban Canning Company. I got myself into a commercial kitchen and from that point on we've been building our business through cash flow and it's been four and a half years now. So I'm pretty proud of it. We have our own production space at this time and I have employees. (laughs) That's so exciting. That is so exciting. 
I mean, how you're able to transform and how women, how we're able to transform and take on these different shapes and wear these different hats to become the people that we want to be, especially as mothers. You and I have kind of a similar story with being single mothers. And, you know, Ryan, my husband, came into Charlie's life when she was four, five years old, and he's Mm -hmm. been helping me raise her. But to circle back, like, I kind of had those same feelings as you, like, no one's ever going to love me. I have a kid. No one's Mm -hmm. ever going to love me. No one's ever going to love her. Like, those fears are real, especially when you're in the midst of healing and transformation and releasing shame and trauma and all this unpacking that has to be done in order to get you to where you want to be. And mm-hmm. I don't think people talk about that enough. I don't think. They don't. Women, yeah, it's scary. I mean, perhaps that's why, because it's rooted in fear. And we're always like trying to make sure that we're able to keep it together for ourselves and yeah. for our kids. So how were you? And there's able... also a lot of shame that yes. is around it. And right. not not just if you're in an abusive relationship, just if you're in a relationship in general mm-hmm. that you have a child with and then it doesn't work out. Yeah. I feel like women hold the shame more than men. You know, they look at you like, oh, you're a single mom. Like you must be blank, whatever. And this story gets created about you. Mm. And so my answer was just to not talk about any of it at all. I don't know about you. (laughs) That's, you know, I just buried it all in. I, I feel the same. I don't, I don't talk about it. I mean, I I try to keep that part of my life private as I as private mm-hmm. as I can and to honor my daughter and to also, you know, I'm still unpacking that. Like I, I talked yeah. um, in an episode recently where I was the guest. I had a close friend of mine interview me and mm-hmm. I was unpacking just like the shame that I have around being a teen mom. And I told her I didn't realize I had that shame until I got married and until Mm -hmm. I got pregnant with Isla and like doing it that way and all those suppressed feelings and that hiding and that like shame started coming to the surface and I asked my husband say what is that about and yeah it's just so much unraveling so I get it when you say you know you just you just put it in a box. I put it in a box and I buried it like 35,000 feet under the ground. Yes. And I was like <laughs> not touching it. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the healthiest thing to do. So now, you know, I'm working with a therapist and my spiritual teacher to kind of figure out why I'm having these feelings and address. And, and I'm trying to figure out how to address that part of my life because we can't hide from our truth. No. We can stand in it. And it can yeah. be super mucky and uncomfortable, but we can't hide from it because that's when it starts, you know, just driving us us crazy. Yeah. And it starts manifesting yeah. negatively yep. in different aspects of your life. Yep. I was so I've had to do the same as you. It was a couple of years ago that I decided, you know, it's time that you talk about this mm. because it's almost at the point where when you hold it in for so long, you're going to explode at some point in time. Yeah. So yeah. it's better just to let the air come out slowly instead of just popping all at once, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Just letting it kind of unravel in a way that makes you feel safe and not overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I've been trying to balance. Like, how can I tap into this today in a way that's not going to give me anxiety for the rest of the week? Because it it can be that 
traumatic to reopen, you know, and and step back into the place where we used to be, right? We've come so far yes. and we've made all these changes and we're standing in what we know to be true today, but how about from the past? So when you open that box that we've buried 35,000 feet under the ground, yes. it's like, <laughs> it's like, what on earth? Like, I don't want to go back there. Um, so. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's so hard to even think like a minute about it yeah. without without wanting to cry, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Just sometimes just the best thing to do. Just put on a really sad movie and just like cry Sob. it the F out. <laughs> I recently started wearing a new bra by Third Love and I absolutely adore it. Did you know that breast shape matters when you're finding a good fit? I didn't. Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their Fit Finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. I found the Fit Finder quiz really helpful when I was picking out my Third Love bra. I didn't know I was wearing the wrong size for so long. I think what's really awesome about this is that over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date, and it's actually a pretty fun experience. I answered a few simple questions and I found my perfect fit in about 60 seconds. Third Love offers more than 70 sizes, which is more sizes than most other brands, including their signature half cup sizes. Not only that, but Third Love is convenient. You can skip the trip to the mall, find your fit with their online fit finder, order, try it on at home. No more awkward fitting room experiences. What really sold me on Third Love was the 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you can return it. And Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love's team of expert fit stylists are dedicated to helping you find your perfect fit. Fit stylists are available every day to help via text, chat, or phone. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. What's not to love? Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering Hey Girl listeners 15% off of your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash heygirl to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash heygirl for 15% off today. To talk about Urban Canning Co. a little bit more and how it, how it came to be at a farmer's market. So we went from quitting job to vintage on Etsy to Urban Canning Co. kicking ass at farmer's markets. Now you are four and a half years in. I'm sure Uncle Ray is beyond proud of you. I want to talk about that, too. <laughs> um, but what has canning taught you about community? Because... Mm-hmm. Food is so communal and it really is the fact that you and it's not as much anymore though. Hmm. But you don't think so, but let's talk about that. No. Yeah. So I, I, do you, when I was a kid or, you know, up in, up in West Virginia in the summers, we would have like family reunions Mm. and people would have church gatherings and this, that, and the other. And, some neighborhoods would have parties and potlucks. And I'll tell you, we tried to partner up with a, um, keep St. Pete local, which is a nonprofit in our area that helps promote small business. 
and they tried to do a potluck and people didn't want to bring food because they were nervous to eat other people's food. Hmm. And that was a real eye opener for me that, you know, I do believe that this could be like a regional thing or a city thing or what have you. But here in my community, there's a real disconnect between food, its source, and then how food it can be a very communal thing. And I had the opportunity when I opened my own kitchen a couple of years ago to start teaching classes and showing people the way my uncle showed me Mm -hmm. how to preserve food because it can be daunting and scary when you search it on the internet. Yeah. Um, And it was in that moment that I found like, wow, people have this like crazy misconception of canning. Like when people get together, they think hot, sweaty conditions, putting up like a thousand jars, women just miserable. Mm. And that's just not the case at all. So I really do try to show people in the classes. I have them all come together and prep food together. They're all coming together and talking about food preservation together. And they're meeting people that might even be their neighbor, Mm. but they didn't, they didn't know because they don't knock and say, hi, I just moved in. Here's a basket, you know, just, yeah, I mean, that is different. Yeah, that is so (laughs) true. And I have written down here, um, to, to touch on your workshop offerings because that's kind of where community came into play for me. Um, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I wish I was in St. Petersburg to come take a class, but the way you're offering me community is by me being a customer and you packaging and making and shipping to me Mm -hmm. in Maryland for me to enjoy. And that to me is community building. But when it comes to being in person and touching and looking and tasting Mm -hmm. and, um, having a tangible experience with the people who may be your neighbor, you know, who may or yeah. who may be coming from far away. What has that taught you um, about the possibility of community? And also, how has that made you realize the role that Urban Canning Co. plays in community today? Whew, man, that's kind of a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, you know, I guess that I was kind of one of those many people that didn't knock, you Mm. know, on the neighbor's house next door. I didn't really know the people around me. I also was, uh, much younger than a lot of the other moms at Ava school. And so I had a hard time connecting with Mm. that community as well. And, Mm -hmm. and by just kind of throwing myself into teaching classes, First of all, it taught me how to talk to other people again. Mm. There was many, many years, not just for me, but I think for a lot of people where we've turned to our phones as our main source of communication, but uh, we don't just sit down and talk face to face as often. And so, you know, I don't come from a public speaking background. I didn't go to school for teaching. I had no idea what I was doing. Same. I just knew I wanted to share the same experience that my uncle had shared mm-hmm. with me with others. Yes. And so I threw myself in it and I realized that if you want to see those things happen, then you be the person that starts it mm. and then it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I'm finding that with, with the other, the people who come to the classes that that's starting to open their eyes that like, oh, 
I can talk to you comfortably and it not be awkward. And it's okay to say hi when we're crossing paths on the street. Um, you know, we don't have to look down and right. pretend like we're all just alone in this world. Mm. So <laughs> oh, that, that answer, that answer is something that really just warmed my heart because with this digital age being what it is, it's um, mm-hmm. it's so easy to get lost in translation on the phone and like you follow your friends on Instagram and Facebook and that's mm-hmm. how you check in. It's like, no, I've had to have a couple conversations with people that are dear to me to say, hey, following each other on Instagram doesn't replace a phone call or a FaceTime yeah. or, hey, girl, come over, you know, and and, and and I just I just want to hug you and see you. That transition for me is kind of strange, but mm-hmm. it keeps me mindful and intentional on how I'm interacting with those new in my life and old in my life and the community that I want to build through in-person connections phone calls, um, FaceTime, and just being present and not double tapping your photo and liking it and calling that a check-in because I read your caption and it said that you had a shitty day today. (laughs) But okay, that's fine. But also picking up the phone and saying, hey, you know, I I, I did see your caption and I saw you weren't having the best day. Do you want to talk about it? And not just being this fleeting moment of community, but really tapping into what it means to show up for the people in our lives. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. I want to talk about a couple more things before we wrap up. You are teaching domestic violence survivors how to step in to who they are um, and how to build their own businesses. And I want, I don't want to end this show without talking about how you got into that and what um, that has taught you, not only about your own journey, but about the importance mm-hmm. of standing with other women as they navigate different traumas. Awesome. Um, yeah, so in St. Petersburg, we have a nonprofit organization called CASA, and CASA is all about community action against domestic abuse. And it's not just for women, it's for men too, mm-hmm. or the elderly, mm-hmm. for children, mm-hmm. um, for any victims of abuse. And I happen to have a good friend who's the volunteer coordinator there. And a couple of years ago, when I was finding that me holding this in kind of like a dirty secret was really manifesting negatively in my life. I wondered, well, what am I going to do about it? You know, am I just going to like cry about it or am I, I mean, it is nice to call friends and, you know, say, you know what, this is a truth that I want to share with you. Mm. But I wanted to do something bigger than that because I oftentimes would have people speaking of social media, and I'm sure you find this also, like looking at my life on Mm. social media and thinking like, oh, look at how great everything is for her. You know, look at her building this business and it's so successful, but they, it's like the tip of the iceberg. Mm. You don't see all the stuff underneath that's holding it all up and that's making it all happen. And so I didn't want people to feel alone in their um, troubles really. And I also had a fear that I would always be defined as a victim and that I couldn't really get ahead in life 
if people knew this about me. Mm. And I thought maybe other people would feel the same way too. And so I did a couple of fundraising things for CASA, but then they actually came to me and asked me if I would teach a workshop um, helping uh, victims of domestic abuse write a business plan um, for all the reasons I mentioned before. You know, they're having a hard time finding a schedule at work that works with childcare or they can't afford childcare or what, whatever it is. And I was able to go in uh, myself and I invited my friend Jamie O'Berry, who owns O'Berry Succulents. I invited her to come as well. And we got to teach um, 10 to 15 women all about writing a business plan, answer all the questions that they have, but most importantly, help them feel like their possibilities aren't over, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. that this isn't the end of their lives, that that door is closing and now it's going to open up to a whole new beginning where they don't have to let what happened to them define them or hold them down. Um, that even with $700 in savings, they can start a business and if they accept help from organizations like CASA or their family, you know, they can they can build their own little empires. And that doesn't have to mean million dollar businesses. You know, there's different forms of success. It doesn't have to be monetary. And so that was part of my healing process. And I'm really hopeful that I can continue that type of work and continue to share my story and let other people know that they don't have to carry this burden alone and that they can still have dreams and they can make them happen. That just gave me all the chills. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying hard, like not to cry because I have to tell you that I am like, everyone knows it. I cry at least once a day. (laughs) Same. 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 (laughs) But I have to be honest, I still have this thing where when I talk about this, it still feels like someone else Mm -hmm. that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. because I'm still not fully allowed myself to be 100% emotionally connected to what happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm still a work in progress too (laughs) in many ways. We all are like we are yeah. <laughs> all constantly working to be our best selves and to address things that, you know, give us anxiety and that make us feel disconnected from our journeys. So we are all constantly, constantly working and doing the work and trying to figure out how to get the work done, because that is that is where it comes into play, the healing when, when you address, acknowledge, and you're aware, I always say the triple A's, address, acknowledge, aware, be aware. Um, so with all of that, I am loving our conversation. I wish I could talk to you for another hour. Um, <laughs> self-care as a mother, business mm-hmm. owner, and advocate, what does it look like for you? And how do you want self-care to unfold in your life as you continue on this journey of business owner healing um, trauma and wounds and hurt and also being emotionally available for your daughter? How does self-care play a role in all of that? Well, in the beginning, when I first started urban canning, I wasn't taking care of myself at all. And Ava 
how I made it work with her is I would just schlep her around with me. She was at all the markets and I just, I really wasn't taking care of myself. And it, it wasn't until a couple of years later when I was getting sick all the time, I had gained a lot of weight. I wasn't feeling good. Um, the list goes on and on that I realized, you know, I can't be the best boss that I can be. I can't run my business the best. I can't be the best mom or friend or family member or what have you, Mm. um, unless I take care of myself first. But there's this, I don't, do you find that like, there's this narrative that putting yourself first is selfish and that you should like feel bad for doing it because I do. (laughs) Yeah, there is that narrative. There is that narrative. And that's why I do the work that I do to dispel that narrative and get women to realize, listen, you can't pour from an empty cup. You just can't. So if you want to be the best, you can be, you have to fill yourself up first so you can share with others. I mean, that just makes sense. And that narrative of it being selfish is um, something that I think is slowly dissipating, but it's going to take some time. I hope so. Yeah, I'm working on that part really hard. And the other thing I'm trying not to do is compare myself to other women and what fills their cup up or Mm. doesn't fill their cup up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of like other female CEOs that I follow and they're leading a very different life. Like it's 6 a.m. I'm going for a jog and now I'm working till two o'clock in the morning and they're only getting like a few hours of sleep every day. And that just doesn't work for me. Like, (laughs) so the things that I've implemented is when I'm off, I turn my phone off, I put it on the charger and I don't work anymore. Mm. I like, I, I'm trying to focus on one thing at a time. Yes. And it's not the business right now. My attention's on my daughter or right now my intention's on, uh, you know, creating a healthy meal for us Mm. or right now it's hanging out with my girlfriend. So really compartmentalizing things instead of having this feeling like I have to multitask all of the time. Um, and then the next thing is I have implemented riding my bicycle, which seems really simple. And I know everyone says like exercise, but that like American culture of like diets, exercise, lose weight, look pretty. I'm not doing it for that. I don't like fuck that Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. I'm doing it because I want to sweat it out and like clear my mind for a minute Mm -hmm. and come back feeling, you know, relaxed. And so I've implemented being physical more for that reason, not for like weight loss and all those other burdens I feel like society puts on women. And then I'm trying to teach that to Ava as well. Um, you know, she's becoming a, or she is a preteen, she's hitting puberty. So instead of like hashtag self-care on Instagram, I'm like, the phone is down and I'm actually taking care of myself. Yes. You know? (laughs) Yes. 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 Absolutely. That is, that is important. That logging off and that being present in your, in your day-to-day moment is wonderful and self-care looks like digital detox more times than not because now yeah. I mean, we talked about this earlier it just becomes a blur right and now everybody is like here's what I'm doing I'm up at 6 a.m. I'm kicking ass in the gym and I'm raising babies and I'm cleaning the house and I'm like I don't know how y'all do it I can't I can't do it all and I know I'd like to see the clips from in between those yeah. Instagram stories because <laughs> that's where the truth lies you know it's but it's so funny because everything 
that everyone does is for very different reasons, social media or not. So it's like finding balance between navigating social media, running a business, being a mother, um, being a family member, taking care of yourself and not getting wrapped up in other people's narratives. And that's what can be so hard with the social media world is because everybody is doing so many different things that we're overstimulated and we're constantly digesting what someone else is doing instead of being like, this is what I need to be doing. So kudos to you for bike riding. I actually want a bike. I just told Ryan the other day, I'm going to get a bike and I'm going to go ride it. Uh, (laughs) Listening to music and riding bikes. Oh, it's just one of my favorite things. And then I have another suggestion too. It's something I tell all of my students, you know, I oftentimes hear, I don't have time to cook or I don't have time to can or Mm -hmm. preserve my own food, or I don't have time to source better foods or go to the farmer's market on Saturday. But the truth is, is that we all have time for what we choose to be a priority. And we have gotten to a point where when we feel stressed out and tired, we look to mindlessly scrolling on, since this is the theme that we're going into now, like Mm -hmm. mindlessly scrolling on Instagram or binge watching Netflix as our way of decompressing, Mm. but you don't feel better afterwards. And so one of the hardest things about preserving your own food is the food prep involved. You know, sometimes you're cutting like a hundred pounds of vegetables, which is quite a lot, but it is better than going to a meditation class, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. you have a very simple task that almost anyone can do. And you have to do it for a long period of time. And in that moment, while you're prepping the food, you get to have silence Mm. and you get to just focus on the task at hand and watch the progression start from a cucumber into a pickle. And when you're done, I feel, and my students are starting to understand this too, I feel rested when I'm done as though I have just meditated way, you know, way more than, um, a lot of the other things that we're currently going to for relaxation. Um, so I think everyone should start canning and (laughs) cooking for themselves again and preserving their own food and getting in control of what they're putting inside their bodies and it won't just help their health physically, but mentally as well. Eileen, that's a great way to end. Thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Thank you. Just a quick side note to all you ladies out there who may be going through what I went through in my early twenties when I first became a single mom Do not give up hope. Love is out there. It took me 35 years, but I finally found an amazing man, and he loves my daughter like she is his own. It's not even something we ever have to talk about, and we're getting married in October. So keep your head up, do the work, love yourself, and love will find you. If you want to connect with Eileen and the Urban Canning Company, you can do so over at Instagram. Their handle is at the Urban Canning Co. And if you're interested in becoming a customer, which I highly suggest, head over to the urbancanningcompany.com and use the code HeyGirl15 at checkout for a surprise discount on your first purchase.
The Hey Girl Podcast is a member of the District Productive. Produced by Paul, Woody Woodhall, and me, Alex L. Music by DC's own Kokai.